This is Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science, episode 153. This is a special episode because it's a solo episode, so no guest today. I don't remember when it was the last time I recorded a solo episode. It was it was years ago. And I wanted to do solo episode again, and I even get the feedback from you that you want to hear from me. You're interested in my views and that my views and my opinions are an important part of the podcast, which is very nice feedback. I, I really appreciate it and it really made my day. Um, that's that's the way you think about it. And so, yeah, I, I, I thought I'm going to record that episode, um, but just didn't know when. Uh, I always prefer to have a guest with me, an expert guest with me, and I can still share my opinions, still can share my views. But have an expert and kind of like a validate those opinions with an expert and, and perhaps learn something if I'm wrong. And, you know, hopefully you can learn with me. That's the whole deal with this podcast. But what made me to finally record this episode was that over last four to five weeks, I received a lot of messages through different channels through social media, through email, through instant messaging, even through newsletters that I am subscribed to. And I could only describe those messages as climate change denial. And just bear with me, bear with me. I understand that this is a term that is very broad and it is often overused, especially on social media, right? And, and it means something like, if you don't agree with everything I say about climate change, you're a climate change denier. And I think that there's a lot of room for discussion and we need a lot of discussion about climate change and there's a lot of things that are not clear and need more research, need more uh, talking about and you know educating people and discussing. There's a lot of room for that. However, there is a certain baseline. The baseline that is based on the best available science, as we say. So I feel like some opinions and some views that are below that baseline, this is what I describe as climate change denial. You know, like a discussion like, oh, you know, CO2 is a food plant, it's all good. I, I thought that discussion was at this level maybe, you know, 20, 15 years ago. And since then, we moved forward with the discussion. That discussion should be somewhere else at this point. And by the way, I'm not stranger to receiving like weird messages. I guess that comes with the territory being, you know, somehow out there in the public as a content creator. Um, but this time it was like relentless, like every one after another, week after week. And, and also people who send those messages, uh, I was, you know, surprised and bothered by it. Um, because a lot of them were people like, you know, university trained ecologists and hunters and anglers. They should know better. They spending time out there in the, you know, in the woods or at the sea or in the rivers and they, they see what's going on. At least they should see what's going on. So let's start with like personal experiences. You know, I'm hunting and fishing as well and I'm not exactly a young guy. So I can tell you and I can see how the climate changed in two different places in Ireland for over, you know, it's coming close to two decades. And in Poland, over four decades. And I can see how the climate changed. Like in Poland, we lost winters. We don't have winters anymore. 
you know, we were with my family on uh, uh, winter holidays in January in Iceland. And, uh, uh, you know, I was walking on the streets of Reykjavik and I was thinking to myself like, yeah, this is how I remember winters. This is how I remember winters used to look like in Poland, you know, the snow on the streets and all these things. And uh, one of the listeners said like, oh, Iceland in January, that's brave. And I thought to myself like, no, we used to call it Tuesday in Poland. We don't anymore. And not like in the mountains, like in the central Poland. So I can see how climate is changing, how it is, how it is warming at, at, you know, quite alarming rate, like just, just in my uh lifetime uh we don't have winters anymore in poland and and i'm sure people who are in in the uk or ireland they they see the same thing happening here i can see uh when i when i moved to ireland how the winters used to look like on what were the temperatures in the summer and how it looks like right now maybe the change is not so staggering because uh we have here golfstrom uh or golfstream if you like, that is kind of like a stabilizes the climate, but don't worry, the Gulf Stream is uh, weakening as well. So um, these changes will come here as well. But not only my own observations. As I record this podcast, I speak with scientists, different scientists, independent, independent from each other, I mean, scientists. And they, in a scientific institutions, academic institutions, again, not related to each other, sometimes on different continents, in the US, in the UK, Ireland, Norway. And they work on different things. They work on the oceans and the oceanographic stuff. They work on birds, migratory birds, seabirds. They work in the mountains, at the sea, in the rivers. They they work with bears and they work with wolves and all those things. And they're looking at the different data sets. Again, not related data sets. Data sets through, gathered through citizen science, data sets gathered through some collaborative network of sensors, all sorts of things. And they all see the same goddamn thing. The climate is warming at an alarming rate. They're not climate scientists. They're not looking specifically for climate stuff. They look, they're looking at their own stuff. And they see how animals or habitats that they work on and in are affected by climate change. So, they, you know, there's not like a bias. They're just observing what they're doing. And this is so independent and so widespread that I think there's no question here, really. And look, these are huge data sets long-running data sets. Some of them are running for decades. So the argument is that, well, we have uncompleted data, we don't have all the data. No, 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 we have, we have a lot of data. And our current capacity of processing and storing data is, is tremendous. So there is no argument that we're missing some data. We have a lot of data, long-running data, independent data. And all that shows roughly the same thing. And this data is used for computer models. And that lets me transition to another argument that I often hear. And I heard in those uh, messages and, and, and communication that all oh, models are inaccurate. They're inaccurate. They're, they might be wrong. What if models are wrong? And it's always like an underlying assumption that they're wrong, that they're too pessimistic. You know, like, what if they're too optimistic? Which is, by the way, actually something that it looks like they are. But let me talk 
for a second about computer models. I, in my time, made a few computer models, some of them in my academic years. And right now, part of my job is working with computer models, training computer models, machine learning models, you know, the AI stuff, uh, you know, testing them, uh, finding their confidence rate and, and stuff like that. So I, I know something about those models, how to build those models and how to tell good models from the bad model. Let me tell you the story. The year was 1916. The gentleman named Albert Einstein, you may have heard of him, was working on a model, mathematical model, not computer model, but essentially the same thing, right? Computers are good at maths, so that's why we call them computer models now. They are just mathemat mathematical models, statistical models, etc. And he was making model of the universe using his brain, blackboard, and chalk. And he was modeling a universe. He was modeling like very difficult thing, purely theoretical. You know, we're talking about the deep past, the Big Bang, the laws of physics were not exactly what they are right now because everything was dense and hot, like really, really abstract, difficult, complex stuff. And his model showed him that there should be something like a gravitational wave, which is the gravity behaves like a wave. Okay, fast forward 100 years, actually 99, 2015, we have a deep space probe with all the advanced sensors, and that probe measures gravitational wave. What is the point? We were able to do pretty good models of the world, the universe, 120 years ago. We have spend last 120 years at improving our techniques and developing our ways of making those models. Not to mention that the compute power we have at our disposition right now and storage capacity and all those things are just unparalleled. The point I'm trying to make, we are pretty goddamn good at making computer models. Are they perfect? No, of course not. They're not perfect. They are a little bit off, they can be off, they are off. But the general trend, the general trajectory is pretty solid. We, we know what's going on. Uh, you know, and especially that we're at it for like decades. So we can find out, you know, whether, whether what the models were predicted going to happen like 20 years ago, did it happen? And 10 years ago and five years ago and now, and if they were off, we can correct them. There is a, there is a field research going on at the same time, you know, the famous... Greenland ice cores and stuff like that. We could run those models back and see if what they're showing is matching what we found in those ice cores. And, and if, they're, if they're not, we can correct them. So again, the point I'm making, those models are pretty good. And it's, it's not like, you know, they can be off, of course, but it's not like, oh, we forgot this parameter, they're completely wrong. The climate is cooling or something. Like this, they're not going to be completely wrong. They're just going to be like, you know, a little bit inaccurate here and there, but general trajectory is solid and they're all showing the same thing. They're showing a rapid, unprecedented acceleration in warming of the planet, the climate changes, surface of the ocean, surface of the air, all those things. They're, they're pretty solid. We can, we can trust this data and we can trust these models because they're being fed on those huge data sets. So, 
you know, next time you hear something about uh, computer models or climate models, get that information from people who actually work on computer models, not from clinical psychologists or some politicians that used to be, uh, you know, working for the oil and gas industry. Just, just get that information from people who know what they're talking about. Okay, so, so far I told you about observations, uh, not only mine, but the scientists across the world, independent, about the data sets that they're using and they're creating those data sets, about the computer models that then are being fed those data sets, all those things. And um, so that kind of is in a department of people who say, oh, there's, you know, no climate change. Now, there is a portion of people who goes like, yeah, okay, there is a climate change, but it's all natural. People have nothing to do with this. This is all natural and we cannot possibly affect something like climate. I tell you something. If you want to be Mrs. or Mr. Optimistic, nothing to worry about. It better goddamn be human made. Because then at least we can do something about it. If it's completely natural process and we can do nothing about it and all of a sudden, naturally, nobody knows why the climate starts to steeply warm in an unprecedented fashion and this is all natural and we don't know why because our models are wrong. We're <laughs> We truly because then we can do nothing about it. Luckily, current climate change is human-made. It is caused by humans, and that is actually good news, because that means that we can do something about it, at least potentially. Right? You look at uh, how we're reacting so far to it, even based on those messages that prompt me to record this episode, well, you might think like, well... Apparently not, but one could only hope. So that leaves me with one final item to address. Of course, I responded to quite a few of those messages. And to my surprise, and to my, you know, I don't want to say that I was horrified, but it was like really, really sad, I think some of the responses I got was straight up conspiracy theories. It's either governments are falsifying data and this is all made, made up based on false data, or even in one case, chemtrails got involved in that. You know, apparently chemtrails are responsible for climate change that government does that or governments do that. And I can't even believe that I'm rebuttaling that right now. But let me let me finish that, okay? You know, governments usually are on a, you know, moderate level of incompetence. This is just built into the system. And they can't even fix all the potholes on the road, okay? They can't agree on anything. Constant push and pull, even internally, never mind globally. Everybody wants something else. They're, you know, constant voting and discussing and this and that. On top of that, they can't keep anything secret. Top secret documents are leaking, some emails, some messages, the stuff that they want to keep secret. They can't. It's, it's leaking like every month is um, some leak of the data. Okay. 
So now you think that despite all that, all the governments in the world, on that one thing, managed to agree on it, keep it secret, and stay on course for decades. That one thing. Most of the governments work in the, you know, election cycle time frame. Four years, five, six years. But that one thing, climate change. For decades they agree they're not changing anything, nothing leaked. Do you think it's realistic? If you do, I have nothing else to say. I really don't. Okay, folks, so that's, uh, that's my view and my opinion on the climate change. In case it was too long and too complicated, I think that we have a serious problem with the climate. It is warming at unprecedented rate, and we're not exactly doing anything about it. And by all means, everything points out that that's us who are causing it. So, which, like I said, it's an optimistic part of it. I think it's an optimistic part of it because at least we can do something about it. Okay, that's been it. Um, from the next episode, we're back to the usual format. I have uh, quite a few episodes in the can. We will have episode about sharks. We will have episode about the wolves. There's going to be episode about hunting and hunting and politics. Uh, there might be episode about bow hunting yet again. There is at least two episodes with book reviews. So the usual stuff that you come to expect and like from uh, Tommy Seldor's Conservation and Science podcast. Um, again, thanks for your time. Thanks for watching if you're on YouTube and thanks for listening if you're on the uh, podcast platforms. And yeah, leave me a comment. See ya. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show.